Good. Well, good to be here. It's, it is really exciting to have Reagan back with us for the first time in months and months and seeing really good things happening um, in this, this journey of overcoming cancer and fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. So good to be here. I knew today was going to be a little different with students gone, um, but I'm, I really just had a sense, even as I was preparing, that, you know, God, I think I don't, you've got something you want to do in people's lives. That's why we're coming together today, because you want to do something. And so um, let's lean into that and what he has. I heard a story just actually this morning I read this, and it fit with what I was going to talk about. There was, did any of you guys hear about the penguin that got lost in the last 10 days? There was a little penguin, like 27 inches tall, from Antarctica, where penguins live. And he was out swimming in the ocean, as penguins do, getting his fish. And I don't know what happened, but he apparently made a wrong turn, and then another wrong turn, and a lot of wrong turns. And he ended up... 2,000 miles away in New Zealand. Second live penguin ever found in New Zealand. The last one was like 1983. And I was just thinking about what was going through little, they named him like Pingnu or something like that. What was going through his little mind? 2,000 miles going through the ocean. Like, he wondered like that first turn, was it like, do I go left or right? I'm not sure. Let's go right. And he started going. And then you go a little farther, and you're like, wait, I don't know if this is right. Which direction? And he just kept going the wrong direction and ended up way off course. And I can relate to that because that's how I often feel about my life. I'm, this, this passage we're talking about today, we're talking about Acts 25 and 26. And honestly, as I was prepping for today, I, I had a really hard time figuring out what to focus on and what's, what's the theme for today. And Ironically, what I came down to is the theme of being, becoming decisive. I was being indecisive and figuring out what direction to go. But I, so often I feel indecisive. I wrestle with being decisive. I, last weekend, a week ago, Ian, our 14-year-old, and I stained our backyard fence that we built this year. And I tell you, I struggled so much figuring out the right color for this fence and figuring out how to go about Evaluated, went back and forth. And I was just kind of like stuck in my mind of like, oh, what do we do? And then finally we went for it. And then the next morning I woke up, I looked at it, and I'm like, I don't know if we did the right thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right color. Like every time I see this fence, I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't know. I have to like do this mental battle. It's just like, okay, it's just a fence. It doesn't matter that much. But I want to be decisive, but so often I wrestle with that. And anyone else relate to that? Anyone else feel okay? Well, this chapter, I think it's a great, actually we're going to summarize two chapters. It's a really a great illustration of one individual, Paul, as we're going through the book of Acts. He really models the kind of decisive living that God wants all of us in. You know, this was the kind of living that, that Jesus modeled. Jesus said, you know, Jesus, you never had this sense of like, oh, I don't know what to do. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so every day he knew, like, this is what God is doing. And I'm about that, and he knew what he was about. But then Paul was like that. We're going to see that in this, in this story. But then we're going to look at all these, this other cast of characters in the story that really are wavering. They're back and forth. They're not sure. They're, they're, they're vacillating. That's the word that means, means wavering, one way and then the other. I almost call this message, don't get vacillated. But my kids assured me that no one knew what vacillated meant, so I decided... 
I just throw that out there. But okay, but don't don't vacillate. Like don't vacillate to live like that. So this is how to live, and these are the choices about our choices. Now it's not always easy, but I think as we go through this chapter, um, we're going to see some principles that I'm trusting will speak to each one of us about that. So there is. Um, so actually, I just want to pray for us because I think. Today, I want to encourage you, and really always, to, to take notes, um, because there are things, when we come together and the Word is presented, that God wants to give us to apply to our life, and it's really helpful to jot down the top thoughts. And So I want to encourage you, if you have a handout there, or it's great to bring a notebook, and take that and then apply it to your life during the week. And so, um, let's pray that God would give us each something this morning. God, would you help us? Your Word is powerful. It's living, it's alive, and you, ha- you want to speak. Would you meet each one of us where we're at and give us insights and inspiration and empowerment to move from where we are to become more decisive about your purpose for our life? We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before we dive in, I want to just kind of lay out the cast of characters that's in these two chapters. Um, the last... It's a handful of chapters of Acts that we've been going through. There are a bunch of court cases. It's a bunch of scenes of Paul appearing before different tribunals and consuls and courts. And he's been arrested. And it's kind of funny. They don't even know what to charge him with. There's not any crime he's done. But he's offended the authorities. And he's, they're both, you know, the Jewish religious leaders are, are really nervous about what he's doing. And so they're trying to charge him with something. And so he just keeps using this as an opportunity to point people to Jesus as king and um, to defend the, the true faith. And so, so Paul is the first character. But then last week we looked at this, this Roman governor named Felix. And we're going to actually, Rich brought a great, um, let, helped us look at that last week. And we're going to read the last few verses of that because that ties into this, this whole topic of struggling with being decisive because he, he models indecision. Felix was interesting, was married to this, woman named Drusilla, kind of sounds like one of Cinderella's stepsisters, right, Drusilla, but she was, I mentioned that because she was a member of the Herodian dynasty. I think Herod the Great was the, the, the king or the regional leader when Jesus was born, and then his grandson had just killed, put James to death a little bit before this. There was this whole, like, family of political leaders. They were Jewish, but they were really look, working for Rome, and so Felix, the, the Roman governor was married to one of these family members. Um, Felix was replaced by Festus, and so we kind of see this transition of power. He's the guy that is, has Paul in custody next, but he's the Roman governor in the area. And then King Agrippa and Bernice come in, and Festus is going to have them also listen in and, and have Paul defend himself. And King Agrippa and Bernice were also members of the Herodian dynasty. They were um, like great grandchildren of Herod the Great. There's actually like a family, which you can't, probably can't read too much, see too much on it. But Bernice and King Herod Agrippa II, they're in the bottom right there. Their, their dad was King Herod Agrippa. And actually, you think, they, it seems like they're married, but they're actually brother and sister. When you read the story, Bernice was actually 19 years old. She had been married twice already, but both of her husbands had died. And so her brother was kind of taking care of her. And she was really acting like a queen and Actually, all the, like, Josephus writes about this, and the people pretty much 
believed it, it seemed that there was an incestuous relationship. And I say that just to say that this family was very uh, morally, they were, there was a lot of indecision about morals. You know, they were Jewish. They were supposed to be the leader of God's people. But there was a lot of compromise and uh, indecision about morality and also about allegiances. They were, you know, it was like, are we loyal to God and his people or to Rome? It's just back and forth. And so we're going to see all these characters, they're just, they're a bunch of waffles. Like, they, they can't really make any decisions. Okay, so let's jump in. Um, end of, we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 24, um, verse, verse 24. After some days, Felix, the first governor, came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, I just want to encourage you, as you're think, taking notes or thinking about this, just maybe jot down what are the characteristics of people that are indecisive and what are the characteristics of decisiveness? Where does decisiveness come from? He sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Or as some translations say, when it's convenient... I'll call you back. So we see with, with him, it's this, like he's, he doesn't make a decision about Paul, and it's a matter of convenience. He's waiting for things to work out where it's easier for him to, to make a decision. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. So there's, all, there's a lot of moral compromise and indecision going on. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. Not a name many of us would want to name our kid, by the way. Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So we see this transition of power. Okay. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, the regional Roman provincial capital, named after Caesar. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he summoned him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. So Paul's been in custody for two years at this point. No decision has been made. He's just been arrested, just sitting there. He's, he's, he's in jail. But nothing has been decided. And if you remember from a couple weeks ago, we talked about a bunch of the Jewish leaders who were against Paul made a vow, hey, we're going to ambush him and, and kill him. And we're not going to eat or drink until this happens. And so you see this revisited. I think they probably had eaten and drunk between now and then. But this was a long time. They're still trying to, trying to kill him. Um, Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them, so he's like, hey, let's give him a chance. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day he took his seat on the tribunal, the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. I think this is, this is an important note here. That, so the... Religious leaders are all bringing charges against Paul, bringing accusations against Paul. All these serious charges about how he's, I don't know what, but probably violated their 
their faith, violated, you know, then in, uh, an insurrectionist against Rome, all these serious charges that they had, but none of them were true and none of them could be proven. But it's important detail because this is the nature of our enemy. His, the, Satan, the name Satan literally means the accuser. And what the devil does is he just launches out accusations right and left. He's, he accuses things. He puts seeds and thoughts and accusations that are, that are undermining, but they're not often based in reality. And so we've got we to discern between, okay, is this, is this, can this be proven? Are the, things, the, the, the ideas that I'm listening to as I'm trying to make a decision, is there truth behind what I'm feeling or those thoughts? Or is it just some thought coming to me based on whatever feeling or opinion that other people have? Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. So Paul's defense is basically just the truth. That, hey, I haven't done anything wrong. Show, you can't show that I've done anything wrong because I haven't. And this just seems obvious, but it's important that one of the things that is so of offensive to our culture is the idea of absolute truth. That there is truth, and you can know it, and you can be certain, and you can stand on it. And most of the indecision of our world is because it's not, people aren't based on God, and therefore there's no truth. But when we have a relationship with God and his word, we can stand on what is true and live from that. Okay. Um, keep reading here. Verse 9. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? So it's interesting. Festus is supposed to be like the judge. But you see so clearly that it's not really a matter of justice. It's a matter of politics. These are all politicians trying to appease people and play the crowd and get different people to go along and things to work out well for us, for them. And so... They remain indecisive. Um, keep going here. Verse 10. Paul stands in contrast to that. But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer, and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Paul, at this point, takes a decisive action. In the midst of all this indecision and delaying and nothing happening, Paul is ready and says, okay, this is, he makes his move. He says, okay, I'm going to appeal to Caesar, which locked in that he was going to be sent to Rome and stand before Caesar. And I just I want to think about this for a minute. Like, how, so how was Paul able, like, what brought him to the point of making a decisive move at this point? Um, I think there are a new number of things here, and it's a, little, you know, it's a little hard to know for sure, but my, these are my thoughts. First thought is just, after two years of sitting around, 
and waiting. He was sick and tired of the status quo and was like, hey, I got to do something. Like, he was waiting for this chance to come before them. And he knew, like, they're not going to do anything. What can I do? I, he's thinking through and praying through. What can I do that will make things move forward? And so he took action because he was sick and tired of just waiting around. And I think sometimes it comes to that for us. Like, sometimes you just got to get tired of, like, oh, man, I'm, like, wavering. I'm, like, I'm unsure. Like, I, I'm living like this, and I'm kind of in two camps. It's like, um, like the prophet Elijah said in this big showdown in the Old Testament when the people of Israel were, were worshiping false, the false god of Baal and God. Elijah looked at him and said, hey, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long are you going to stay back and forth between God and Baal? If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. But choose this day who you're going to serve. Come on, how long are you going to keep wavering? And we come to a place where it's like, you know, I just, I got I to gotta know. I got to know which direction. And that's a good thing for us to come to that place. I think Paul came to that place. Um, the, the second thing I think we know about Paul is he had the ability to hear God personally. He, just like Jesus said, I only do what I hear the Father doing. And so Paul had a relationship with God like that, where he was praying and seeking God, and he, he knew what God had for him to do. In fact, this is part of what was spoken to him when he first became a believer, became a follower of Jesus. The, the guy who preached to him and brought him into the kingdom said this in Acts 22, um, 14 15, Paul, we read, and he said, the God of our fathers, this, is, he speak, this man Ananias was speaking to Paul and said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will. God appointed you to know his will. That's good news that we can know God's will. Now, that's like so often we don't feel like that's true, but we can know what God's will is, both big picture and in our day-to-day. God appoints you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a word, a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. God appointed you to know his will, to see God himself, to see Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth. And that's true for every one of us. Like the idea of hearing God, hearing his voice. That's not just for like the super saints. But Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. You know, the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. My sheep hear my voice. So we can go to God and he gives us clarity about, okay, this is what, this is what I want you to do. So Paul lived that out. And then also, the last thing I think we know is that Paul was very clear about what his life mission was. He was very clear about what his purpose was because God had showed it to him. Back to when he first got born again in, in Acts 9. This is the story of the counter. The Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go to Paul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer on behalf of my name. So from the very beginning, Paul knew, Hey, my mission is to be a witness of Jesus, and it's among all sorts of people, but including kings. And the Gentiles, as the Romans, not the Jews. So I'm looking for opportunities to represent because God showed me that was his purpose. Just a little bit earlier in the story, back two chapters earlier, we, we read this story two weeks ago, but in Acts 23, it says, The following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, So the Lord, he had this personal encounter with God. The Lord stood before him, Jesus, and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And so, wow, 
That's how Paul knew he was supposed to go to Rome. Because Jesus appeared before him and said, hey, I'm going to send you to Rome also, just like you're testifying here in Jerusalem. I'm sending you to Rome. And we may be like, hey, that's, that's good for Paul. You know, Jesus hasn't showed up in my bedroom. I haven't seen him and had that sort of experience. But, you know, a lot of us have had experiences where we've had encounters with God, and he's spoken things to us about our purpose in life. And that's one of the most important things for me when I am, am in a place of questioning and wavering and not seeing the results and like, oh, what am I supposed to do? It's like, wait, God spoke to me. God showed me this, and I'm going to stand on that. You know, I think about, I remember when, when I first met Reagan, we were freshmen in college, and she repented and started following Jesus and got filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that experience, she saw a vision of herself preaching the gospel before people. And just like realized, okay, God, you've saved me. You've filled me with your spirit. You've called me to bring your word to other people. And, you know, I, there's, when we go back to those encounters, like, okay, God, that's, you know, that's true for all of us. I mean, we're all called to be witnesses of Jesus. But there are specific things. I know, we know that God called us to Manhattan. You know, there are very real, direct ways that he brought us here and the purpose for this church and what God wants to do in Manhattan. You're like, okay, we go back to that. Like, God, this is, this is what you've done. And so we've got to go back to those encounters. And also, if we haven't had them, ask God for them. Say, God, I want to know. Hey, would you speak to me? Show me what you have for me. And he's, he's faithful to do that. So Paul was, was very clear about that. Um, the story goes on, and I just want to kind of sum it up. Um, King Agrippa and Bernice arrive in Caesarea to pay their respects to the new, to the new Roman governor, Festus. He tells them about the case of Paul. Um, Agrippa says, hey, I'd like to hear from this guy myself. And so in verse 23 of chapter 25, it reads, so on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. You know, I just think it's interesting that there's all the, these are the, the political leaders. They have all the political power. There's the pomp, the pageantry, the ceremony. They're the people of authority. But when you look at what's inside them, they're, they're so empty. They have no direction. It's just a facade, really, to prop up what is not there on the inside. Um, Paul begins his defense, um, the first part of the chapter. I just want to we're not going to read most of that, but we'll hit a couple highlights. In verse, verse 6 of chapter 26, he says, Now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Again, he's going back to the Jesus. His certainty is based on who Jesus is, and his resurrection out from the dead, and what that means in bringing new creation into the world. Um, and he tells his story um, in verse 8. He says, he, he talks about, I myself was convinced, that I, or verse 9, that I ought to do many things in imposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. And he tells a story about he, how he persecuted the church until he had an encounter with God. And that changed everything for him. Um, Verse, we'll just, let's read this, because he does a good job. We're called to be a witness for Jesus. Here's how Paul does it. In verse uh, 15, 
And I said, when Jesus appeared to Paul, I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The kind of the climax of Paul's message is there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light, and there's a kingdom of darkness. There's a kingdom of God, and there's a kingdom of Satan. And that reality, that binary reality, really clarifies things for us. Because so often, like the, there's so much of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, that it's not presented that way. It's presented as like good ideas, appealing things. But when we look at, wait, which kingdom am I aligned with right now? I don't know, for me, in my decisions that are tough to make, the thing that cuts through it the most is when I come to the place of say, saying, God, what's your will? God, I want to be aligned with you. And then that cuts through all my self-interest, all my kind of politics, all my trying to make things work out for myself and get things to be the way I want it or people to approve or whatever. It's like, no, God, what do you want? What are you doing? Okay, when I get to that place of that's what I want, then things begin to clarify and to move forward. And that's, that's so true. Um, get us in the right place. Um, so then he just he challenges he, he sums that up and talks more to Agrippa about how that's, that's what it's all about. And I love this. We're just going to wrap this up in verse 24. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, the compromising politician, moral ambiguity, allegiance ambiguities, is hearing Paul preach about Jesus. Festus can't take it anymore. He says in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. And then Paul turns his attention from Festus to Agrippa. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? I mean, here Paul, I just love it. He's on trial for his life. But he's speaking to the king. He's like, listen, this is the real issue. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? This, you know the prophets, I know you do, I know you're not living that way, but will you align yourself with King Jesus? And Agrippa's like, whoa, dude, I mean, we just met. We, we just met, you're, you're going there, why are you going there? And, uh, he's like, and Paul's like, hey, this is, this is Paul's response, verse 29. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Yeah, I, I want to be like Paul. Like that's, 
That's so great. You know, he's like, everywhere he is, he knows, this is my purpose, this is my mission, I'm going to speak of Jesus, I'm going to help people get in the right place, and I'm not going to be worried about their reaction or what the consequences are so much, but I'm going to be in the right place, and then call them to be in the right place too. And that's the thing that, that changes the world, and that's the thing that, that allows us to live, live with freedom. And so, um, yeah. I trust there's stuff in here for, for each of us. Um, I, you know, the first, as we apply this, it starts out with the question of, hey, am I acknowledging Jesus as my king? Am I bending my knee and saying, yes, Jesus, you are my king, and I'm going to align myself with you? That's, when I was growing up, I heard a lot of talk about making a decision for Christ, making the decision that Jesus would be my Savior and Lord. And then I heard... Years later, I heard someone say, you know, it's not about making a decision for Christ. It's about making every decision for Christ. Oh, that's so good. Because that's really like, that's what following Jesus is all about. It's like, okay, every decision I make, am I making it for Jesus? Am I making it for God, for his kingdom? That's, that's what my purpose is, making every decision for Christ. Um, and, you know, what does that look like? That, as we do that, it may be about asking God for, God, what's your big picture vision for my life? What have you put me here for? What are the things that are specific for me? Or going back to the things he's already showed us about what he's put us here for. And then where it really comes home for me is on a daily basis. And on the days that I'm living out the most, this out the most, I start my day with time with God in the Bible, praying, and I have my notebook, and I'm saying, God, what is today about? What are the things? And usually as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking of like 20 things that I'm like, oh, God, there's this and this and all this stuff. And where is the time going to go? And I, how can I organize my day? And it's easy to get flustered. But I was like, God, what are the most important things? What are the one or two things? Who are the one or two people that I need to talk to? What are the one or two things that are most important? And it's, it's always the case where it's like, okay, it's this. And it's this. And then the question is follow through. Right, it's writing down, okay, am I going to like, make that the priority for this day, to live this day according to what God says is most important? So that's a good practice. I'd encourage you all to, to do if you haven't. Um, you know, and then I think God's calling all of us to be like, how am I going to be decisive about calling other people to be decisive? Once I'm in that place, God, will you make me more like Paul and make me someone who helps other people be in a place of certainty as well? So I just want to pray for us and ask that God would help us in this process. Lord, help us. God, you're just thankful that you, you have a way for us to live with clarity, with certainty, with authority. And it's, it's, about, it's about the ultimate story of the world that we get to be part of. God, would you help us? I pray for each one of us here today that your word would go into our hearts and you would help us to apply it. Lord, would you help us to become the people who, to a greater degree, even than we are right now, it's already happening in a lot of ways, but God, help us to, to be like Paul, to be like you, to be about your business and to, to live with that clarity and certainty. We thank you for it. Thank you that this changes other people, this changes us, this changes the world. Lord, I trust to say this in Jesus' name. Amen.
all right.